Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to Self-Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb, a historian of Judaism and director of Jewish studies currently at the Spurtis Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership in Chicago. And I'm Modia Silva, David's friend and study partner of about 18 years, I think. And I, yeah, and I'm based in Toronto, and I'm a psychotherapist and an author, and I'm also excited to be doing this podcast with you, David. I'm very excited. Uh, we've dreamed about this for a long time, and now we're actually doing it. And to explain to our listeners what we're actually doing is going through in a disciplined style, hopefully, all the parshiot of the Torah, all the Torah portions from beginning to end, using the lens of the discipline of Musar, the Jewish self-improvement discipline through ethical self-control and practice. And we're doing it primarily using Menachem Mendel Leffen's Feshbon Anefesh as a guide. Rabbi Leffen, uh, who was uh, along the border of Moldova and Ukraine, in the late 18th to the early 19th century was an early uh, practitioner and devotee of ethical self-improvement, part of which he learned, which we may discuss later, from Benjamin Franklin. And in this Torah portion, uh, I'm sorry, in this podcast, part of what we're doing is focusing on one midah, one trait, for four weeks at a time and applying that trait to four Torah portions in a row. So we are currently working on the trait of equanimity, and we are currently in the book of Genesis. So if you can sort of picture two rotating dials that we're using to run this podcast, the outer rotating dial is the weekly Torah portion, and that dial moves every week. The inner dial is the dial of 13 soul traits that Rabbi Leffen uses to focus on, and we'll change, we'll move that dial every four weeks. So, Moja, I hope I'm explaining this okay. That means that for the first four Torah portions in the whole Torah, we are focusing on the trait of equanimity. And when we get to the fifth Torah portion, we'll be focusing on another midah. Did I explain that okay? I think that was great. I understood it. So, so which means that it, which means you did a great job. Um, we also have decided, I think, as a as an innovation, that every fourth podcast episode, we are going to have a special guest, someone who is also well well versed in the school of Musar. And um, and we'll get to hear, instead of just David and myself, we'll get to hear thoughts on the Torah portion from uh, from a third person as well. And that'll be every fourth episode. We encourage and, in fact, plead with you. We encourage and, in fact, plead with you to uh, stay with us each week. Because if you lose track of the weeks, you won't ever be sure when that special guest is going to come along. Um, and this week, Mojo, we're in one of the densest, most moving uh, portions of the entire Torah, Lech Lecha. Can you tell us and tell me a little about it, just so we know what we're dealing with here? Um, 
Sure. So the Torah portion of Lech Lecha um, begins chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, and it really is the beginning. So in the first two Torah portions, we had the creation of the world, and then we had Noah and the flood, and now we're being introduced to Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and essentially being introduced to the introduction of ethical monotheism. So even though we delved into the first two Torah portions with equanimi- about equanimity and we were thinking about ethics and morality, um, this is now where the Torah really starts to turn its attention to ethics and morality. That's very useful. And I wonder, you know, if we should talk a little bit before we delve into the Torah portion itself um, about how we approach this, sort of what our different disciplinary approaches are. Because there's lots of midrash about Abraham, right? In other words, extra biblical stories about the kind of person he was. Uh, lots of inference has to be made because Abraham is sort of a laconic character. He doesn't offer, often talk about what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of inference has to be made. And Midrashim have grown up, for example, the famous Midrash that he smashes his father's idols most people consider that to be part of Abraham's story, um, but it's not in the Bible. Right. It's in mid. Right. And so a lot of the inferences that we make might draw from different religious texts that take some free interpretation about the character of Abraham. And I, the other thing that I just want to say is that when we, you and I are talking about these Torah portions and working on a specific midah of a specific trait, I'm just waiting to see what comes up, what the text surfaces for me in the moment that I'm reading it in the context of my current life circumstances. So I'm not saying that anything that I'm saying about about Abraham is necessarily historically true or or given, um, you know, or, or blessed by any scholars. I'm saying what occurs to me right now as I'm working on the trait of equanimity. Well, I think that's great to say because the, I, for me, that is what Musar is all about. Um, if I can follow up with what you just said as well. So I have a certain family member who takes 12... Torah- I'm sorry, who? Shall what? remain nameless. Yes, who shall remain nameless, who really takes Torah very seriously in terms of if you bring in a midrash, if you bring in a, an external story based on the Torah, and you don't reference that it's outside of the Torah, they will get very upset. So my girls went to an, a, an Orthodox day school, and they would come home and talk about stories like you just said, like Abraham smashing his father's idols, or the fact that um, the fact that uh, Hagar, as we'll see in this week's portion was the princess of, was the daughter of Pharaoh. So she was a princess from Egypt. So when my family member would hear that, they would go, that's not in the Torah. And my approach, thinking through, thinking about Musar is, okay, so as an academic, that would be important. But as someone who wants to work on character refinement or character development, I just want to draw lessons from anywhere that is going to help me become a better person. I think that's really well put. And I think there's so much to delve into 
there's so much to delve into in this week's portion um, that we might as well jump in. I want, I do want to add one more thought, which is at this very difficult time, at the moment that we're recording this podcast, it is only uh, approximately two weeks after the horrific attacks in Israel. And in this portion, there is discussion of war and hostage taking. Uh, and uh, Abraham, one of the, is the many aspects of his character that we see in this parsha is Abraham as warrior. Uh, and he pursues uh, the people who capture his nephew Lot aggressively and very far. And it says that in so doing, he gets back everything that was taken from him, but he won't take a single sandal strap of what is not his. Uh, and I just want to bookmark that. I don't want to editorialize about it, but it, it occurs to me that this difficult subject of dealing with adversaries, of making alliances, of engaging in battle with uh, an unjust adversary is a prominent part of this parsha. But the other thing, Moja, that leaps out to me in this parsha is that we have whole towns, Sodom and Gomorrah, that are given over to wickedness. And they are entire cities based sort of, or or at least that, that organized in a way around unethical behavior. And there are very disturbing stories about what that ethic, unethical behavior is, that that visitors are vulnerable and that um, God is going to um, wreak vengeance on the unjust. I think instead what, what I am focused on in terms of the trait of equanimity is, and this is where I want to jump in, is lots choice of land. And I'm looking at uh, Genesis 13, verse 11. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 10, and I'm going to read it in the English from the JPS translation. Lot looked about him and saw how well watered was the whole plain of the Jordan, all of it. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, all the way to Zoar, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It's interesting that those two examples are juxtaposed, the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt. I'll come back to that. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they parted from each other. Abram remained in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the plain, pitching his tents near Sodom. Now the inhabitants of Sodom were very wicked sinners against the Lord. So uh, the JPS commentary points this out, that Lot chooses for himself the best land. He chooses a setting of wealth and comfort. Abraham gives him this choice. What is the lesson here in terms of equanimity? For me, one of the lessons is if you choose circumstances in which which will be cushy and comfortable for you, you're you're actually not making the best choice in terms of your personal development. What I'm wondering what you think about that and which verse drew your attention. Wait, so you're saying that you have to strive to develop. That you can exactly thank you for saying in five words what I said in two hundred and fifty. <laughs> 
Uh, no, that's great because it makes me think of, because we're looking at Cheshban HaNefesh, this book called The Counting of the Soul in English. Um, Rabbi Leffen gives an antidote for when you are not in a state of equanimity. And he says, patience, order, and calm are the order are the order of the day, are the, are the necessary um, focus areas for you to maintain or regain your equanimity. Um, <clears throat> so you ask what sentence, what sentence jumps out to me, but what actually jumps out to me is you're talking about Lot, but Abraham stood there and allowed Lot to do that. Abraham had the patience, he had calm, and he exhibited the idea of order because the sentences right before that was about how the herdsmen were really fighting with each other. Lot's herdsmen and Avram or Abraham's herdsmen were really at each other. And Abraham, instead of jumping in and, and jo joining the fight, stood back and said, okay, why don't we just separate, calm down a little bit, put some order to this, and Lot, you go choose the land that you want. And I'll take, I'll take, I'll take second choice. Yeah, I love that. Part of the reason I love it is that it, Abraham does exhibit patience, order, and calm. He is confident, or else I believe he wouldn't have done it, that no matter what choice Lot makes, he will be well enough off. He will be able to handle whatever is left to him. The other thing I want to say about what you pointed out is that the quarreling of different factions of people in the Torah we can always apply to our different character, our own different character traits, right? We all have a little Abraham in us, and we all have a little Lot in us. And part of our challenge here is to be, at this moment anyway, is to be more like Abraham and less like Lot. And that means if you, if different aspects of you are fighting each other internally, you have to approach this with patience, order, and calm. Absolutely. So I I love that. Um... Sometimes I don't have a little lot in me. I have a lot of lot in me. A lot of yeah. a lot of lot. Um, I also thought about that. I, I like the way you've just talked about it in terms of your character traits are in in conflict with each other, because for me, I was th when I read about that, I was thinking about how your emotions and your thoughts get enmeshed with each other, and when that happens it becomes much more difficult to work on your character strengths and be the person you want to be. And so you do have to separate. So it says in verse 9, in that same chapter 13, verse 9, um, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself, I pray you, from me. And I'll if you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. And if you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. So that's Abraham telling Lot. And I think what he's saying is separate like, remember, if you want to become a good, or this is our lesson. I don't think he's saying it a lot, but our lesson is, yes, if you want to, if you want to develop your character strengths, don't let them become messy. Don't let one overlay on top of the other so you kind of lose track of the other one. Um, maintain an order of your character traits. Maintain an order of your inner uh, states of being so that you can recognize when you're driven by emotion and when you're driven by rational thought. Okay. Drill down on it a little bit. If we're if we're beginners, if we're beginners um, in this work, and I think almost all of us are beginners, 
if we're beginners, how do we apply? Can, can you give me an example of how we would apply this? Like I don't sometimes, you know, and I've studied Musar with you, as you said, for 18 years. Oftentimes I still feel like a rank beginner. So could you give me a practical example of how I'm going to keep traits in order with the help of how we see Abraham depicted? How can I separate out equanimity from all the other stuff that I'm dealing with right now? Um, yeah. So this morning, I, 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 this morning I dropped off my girls at school and we drove by a police command center. And sadly, in our city and in probably many cities across the world, if not North America, um, there is a heightened police presence right now in Jewish neighborhoods because of because of what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, <clears throat> so we did. My daughter and I decided to buy the police in their command center a box of timbits, a box of donut holes, whatever that means. If if for anyone who knows what that means, little round balls that taste like donuts. Um, I recognized as I went over to the command center to give the police this box that I was feeling a lot of gratitude. I was feeling kindness. I was in touch with my kindness, with gratitude. And then as I walked closer, I also got in touch with fear. I got in touch with anger. I got in touch with a whole pile of other emotions which lead towards character development. And then I was able to stop in my track and take a breath and say, but this particular act in this moment is an act of kindness and it's an act of gratitude. So can I build my awareness to see that I've overlaid a lot of things right now and just tease them apart so that I can focus in on the meta, on the character trait that I want to focus in on? Oh, interesting. And I think it clearly shows not only your, your skill as a human being, um, but also your training as a therapist to be able to identify so quickly um, and clearly the different traits that <clears throat> are at play when something like this is going on and also um, how to sort them out, as, to use the word you used, how to disentangle them. And we see, I think, in the character of Abraham, a remarkable ability to disentangle um, this world and the supernal world to be deeply in touch with both of them, but not to confuse the one for the other. But there's another character uh, in this Torah portion who exhibits that same capacity to a remarkable degree, I think, and it is the person of Hagar who experiences sort of a moment of prophecy. It's not sort of, it is a moment of prophecy when she is shown a well and, and uh, is promised that her progeny too in the form of Ishmael will become a great people. And the name Ishmael means God will hear because God heard her plea that the child survive. Um, but it is also uh, a trait that Abraham has in spades, which is the ability to hear God. So the name for me surfaces the idea of not only deep uh, being deeply heard, but deeply hearing as well. And I think 
one of the dangers of one's own work on one's psychology is that it can become very self-absorbed. We can begin to see ourselves as the center of the universe. We can see ourselves in a vacuum. And we can not understand the intense interplay that is constantly happening between us and other people. This is why we have to develop our traits to the maximum, but it also should not come without being exquisitely sensitive, or at least trying to be, to the traits of other people. Everybody's dealing with stuff. If I'm going to be, uh, if I'm going to edit my remarks down, everybody's dealing with stuff. And it's incumbent upon you to not only focus on yourself. How, I, I guess my question for you is how does this, how does this Torah portion, does this Torah portion help you do that? And if so, how? Hmm. So I'd like to stall for a couple of minutes while I'm I'll give you a few minutes to think about it. Yeah. Okay. Good. So let me just say this. You already gave it a think about it quick. Well, I give well, I just compliment you for something you've already said. The thing you already said that maybe made me aware of how sensitive you can be was that you not only tracked all the different things you went through as you were walking up to the policeman with the donut holes. But to me, at least implicitly, if not explicitly, you also recognized what everybody else is going through right now. And in taking the donut holes to the cops, you're sensitive about to what they're going through now, too. Right. They're being guardians of the community at a really difficult time. And as a as a human being, you became a therapist because you're you have the capacity to be really sensitive to other people. But how does Abraham help you, Modya? read other people in a way that helps you maintain your own equanimity. Um, <clears throat> so there's a Rashi, um, there's a Rashi commentary from chapter Tet Zion, what's nine and seven, 16. Thank you. 16. So chapter 16, verse four, this is what happens. Hagar, Hagar was the print was a princess. She was the daughter of Pharaoh. And then she becomes a maidservant. So, you know, it's like, hey, Hagar, can you get in the kitchen and wash the dishes? You know, hey, Hagar, my laundry needs folding. And Hagar's like, what? I'm a I'm a princess. And now I'm doing this. So there was a lot of um there was a lot of subtext in the plot between Sarah and Hagar. And um, these maidens come, these women come to talk to Sarah, and, and Sarah says, hey, why don't you go over and talk to Hagar? <clears throat> In the end, Hagar comes back and says, um, well, Hagar conceives. Uh, sorry, I'm jumping all over a little bit. Let me get straight to Rashi, because I'm kind of losing the plot a little. So <clears throat> this is what Hagar says. That her mistress was, it says, her mistress was despised in her eyes. That's in the Torah. And then Rashi says that Hagar said, this Sarah, this woman Sarah, is not the same in secret as she is in the open. She presents herself as though she were a righteous woman, but she's not righteous, for she was not privileged to conceive in all these years, and I became pregnant the first time I went and slept with Abraham. So what she's really saying is, that it's very easy for people to present externally one way and actually feel something internally a different way. And 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 if you're aware of that, if so if I'm aware of that right now and I choose to do that in a skillful way, then that's great. 
but very often people do it and I do it in unskillful ways. So I do, um, I do couples therapy as well as individual therapy. And I saw a couple yesterday and one of the partners is all smiles and says all the right things. And, and as a somatic therapist, I could see just fury inside him and just, just that rage, it was boiling over but he presented so well. And so I think when you talk about what do we learn in this Pasha about how to be with others, it's to not take anyone at face value, not like to, to attempt to look below the surface and, um, and just see it's like, so tell me what's really going on. You know, people, maybe it's in the US also, when people greet each other, they go, hey, how are you? And it's like, are you are you asking me really how I am? Or are you just saying hello? Is it a superficial hello? Are you really trying to get deep inside me to connect in a deep way? There are funny videos on TikTok and Instagram of uh, a, a European, like a college student in America. And somebody they know walks past them in America and says, hey, how are you doing? And the person says, well, you know, it's been a really difficult adjustment, but I, I'm really enjoying my class. And the person's already 30 yards away, you know, the person who asked the question, because they're not in America, it's a way to say hello, you know, uh, and people who get that question who aren't from the States often don't know that it's a rhetorical question. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I uh, begin with for myself and becoming sensitive of environment is the very, the very beginning of this Torah portion. Chapter 12, verse 1, where God says to Abraham, out of the blue, literally and metaphorically, Vayomer Hashem Avram, his name is still Avram at this point, we have concentric circles of belonging here. Get going, lech lecha, get out, get going, but also go to yourself, something we can talk about in a second. And the concentric circles are me'artzecha, from your land, umimoladetcha, from your birthplace, umibetavicha, from your father's house. So what does this mean? That God gives this command in three different ways. One thing it means is don't get, get, a distance between you and everything that is familiar with you, starting big with your land, coming down to a smaller circle, your birthplace, and coming down to an even smaller circle, your father's house. From a character development standpoint, what this suggests to me is challenge your customary perceptions, your your entire cultural settings, right? Your whole default mode that you came from the factory with. Never get too comfortable with that. Your birthplace means the environs that you're comfortable with. And Betavicha, your father's house, means your familial context and your day-to-day -day habits. This is a Musar lesson, and this is a lesson in equanimity. It's suggesting question your default settings, your default assumptions, and kind of the mask that you put on every day to greet the world. For me, 
if I got up and thought about Genesis chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2 every day, it would say to me regarding equanimity, be ready for anything. Don't get too comfortable and be careful about the mask you put on, because just like in Jim Carrey's movie, The Mask, you may not be able to get it off. Thoughts? No, I love I, I, I love it, because also when you put a mask on and it becomes comfortable, just like a habit, you're more likely to then put another mask on and another mask on it, but, right? It's, a, it's, it's that thin edge of the wedge. You go down, you go down a path that you don't really want to go down, or an unhealthy path, and then it becomes easy to go down that path the next time and the next time, which I think is the Musa lesson, right? Is that habit formation and habit breaking is very much a, a feature of of character development. So, to what you just said in chapter seventeen, verse one, it says. And when Avram, so he's still named Avram, when Avram or Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Avram and said to him, I am God, walk before me, and be wholehearted. And so we've seen that before, tam, be tam, be simple. Don't put the layer on the layer on the layer of the masks on. We saw it in Noah that Noah was ish tamim, that he was, um, he was ish tzadik v'tamim, right? That he was, like, this, the striving is to be simple, meaning not simple like stupid simple, but simple like complete, like uncomplex, if that's a word. Um, so we get back to, like, order. This One of the antidotes to, the, to stop losing your equanimity is, like, get yourself in order. Like you said, you'd love to wake up every morning and, and say verse one and two. It's like, yeah, because that is already recognizing that I want a certain order because my order is going to lead to Tom being being complete, being simple. I think it's beautiful. Um, what happens uh, next with Abraham? What happens? So when we when we look at these lar literally larger than life characters. We can see sometimes, as we will see next week, I believe, in Parshat Bayeran, that the strengths can become themselves imbalanced, that the ability to, to um, do what is asked of one can veer into dangerous territory. I don't necessarily mean to end our conversation now, although we're getting close to our time, but I do want to say that that purity, which is itself a trait and a complex one, which we'll probably get to later, can become excessive zeal. And even in these characters of towering psychology um, and exquisite spiritual sensitivity, uh, a strength can become a weakness or at least a vulnerability. I also just want to say, Modja, um, something that challenged my equanimity this past week, and it was a good thing. And one of the things we should point out in our discussion of equanimity, you know, Rabbi Leffen's sort of, uh, for lack of a better word I, that, I, that I can't think of right now, his mantra for equanimity is rise above events that are inconsequential, whether good or bad. 
for they are not worth disturbing your equanimity. In other words, good things can disturb your equanimity too. And something like this happened to me last week. I won't go into detail. I'll just say that I was honored to be included in a certain gathering of academics. And I started my academic career very late. Um, and I was surrounded by black belts in scholarship. And I'm really not one. And I was so honored to be included and yet so intimidated by the people around me that I felt thrown off. Like I felt I am not worthy. I am not worthy. That's the tendency that I tend to default to is I am not worthy. But the other tendency could be I'm included in this group of hotshots. I must be a hotshot too. We always have to be careful not to be disturbed by events that are either good or bad. That is a challenge, um, at, especially in these difficult times. When things happen that are good, they can create sort of a wild happiness in us. And equanimity really means a, a kind of equipoise. It means not getting too high or too low. Like, how do you do that? And how does Abraham, the character, and this part of his story help you to do that? Well, I have to say, I understand what you're saying. And I have this discussion with a particular friend all the time because he's all about, can he soften the the amplitude of his emotions so that he never gets too high and never gets too low. And then I know other people who actually thrive on having high and low amplitudes of their emotions, that they love getting ex exceedingly high and exceedingly low. Um, and it's what keeps them alive or makes them feel alive. So I, I, I don't know where I sit on this. I, I, I don't know. I, I do know that in this Pasha, one of the things, and maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but there are consequences to all actions, whether good or bad. And maybe it's not so much about how high or how low you go or allow your emotions or your character strengths to develop or not develop, but maybe it's about your um, intention and your wise application of of, of these character traits. So the, the, what I'm thinking of is Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt and Abraham has the best of intentions to protect his wife. And so he passes her off as his sister, right? And Pharaoh almost sleeps with her and then gets really mad. And then jumping forward to chapter 15, verse 13, it says, and God said unto Abraham, know of a surety, whatever that means, know certainly that a stranger shall your seed be in a land that is not theirs, and you'll serve them, and they'll afflict them 400 years. So that so he's, um, he's talking about going down into Egypt, Joseph going down into Egypt, and everyone hanging out in Egypt in slavery. But there, that so there's sort of an epigenetic imprint right here in the Pasha. But it's a consequence, and Abraham did his best. And so, even when you're striving to develop your strengths and you think you're doing the right thing, it's like you can still mess up. It also suggests that part of the problem is that events are beyond our control. When God says to Abraham, "Know of a surety." 
part of what God is saying is these events are beyond your control. There's nothing you can do that's going to stop this from happening. Right. Exactly. When we work on our traits, we have to know that things will get disturbed. Uh, And I think it was you who told me about the quote from the gown of Vilman, who said, when we do this work, uh, you know, things don't always get better, certainly not in a linear fashion. The quote that you told me from the gown of Vilna was, in order to plant the seeds, you have to disturb the field. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I remember that quote. Um, yeah, you have to disturb the f- you have to disturb the field and not let the field disturb you, right? So, so God exactly. says, God says, hey, you're going to suffer. Well, or your people, your peeps are going to suffer for four hundred years. And Abraham has to breathe in and breathe out and say, okay, everything's in God's hands. Like, we live in God's world, not my ego-driven world, and th- that's outside my control, and I have to maintain my equanimity. Oh, and I think that's a, a wonderful note for us on which to end. I mean, we could talk about this portion for five more episodes, um, but... Uh, but whoever's driving and listening to this has probably already gotten where they're going, uh, or the dishwasher needs emptying, or it's time to pick up the kids from school. Uh, and so I, I want to know uh, from you if you have concluding thoughts, and here's mine. The, the trait of equanimity undergirds so much else of what we do, but I think we, especially in the West, suffer from a desire and an assumption that one can constantly improve in a linear way. And the work on character traits, and we see this in the characters of the Bible, including in Abraham himself, the work proceeds unevenly. There are steps forward and steps back. There are constant stumbling blocks and challenges. And when you run across a challenge, you know that this is an opportunity for spiritual and emotional and psychological growth. That's kind of what I get from the entire story of Abraham that really started earnest this week. What are your thoughts? I love it. I, I, I love that. It makes me think of um <clears throat> it makes me think of the Yetzahara. So we haven't talked about um energies that that energies that drive us towards either healthy actions or unhealthy actions. But the the energy that that pushes us towards unhealthy decisions or actions, um we call the Yetzirah, and it's always defined as an evil inclination, something that is external to us that pushes on us and drives us to do something not right. Um, but the altar of Slobodka, who was one of the main, the early main Musa teachers, one of the founder of one of the three main schools of Musa, he said that the Yetzirah is actually on your side. It's like a cheerleader, and you're running down a path. You're running down a race, and the Yetzirah is standing on the sidelines, throwing purposely throwing obstacles in your way, and then cheering you on to climb over or get around those obstacles, because the Yetzirah knows that your growth is dependent on striving and challenge and succeeding through those challenges, but it really wants you to win. So that's that's sort of what just came to my mind as you were saying that is I, I've been trying to use a stand-up paddleboard and, and it's kind of cool for equanimity because a, a big wave comes and I'm falling off. And then my job is not to get frustrated and mad and 
like why me and but just to swim back over to the paddleboard and climb back on and go well that was just a wave that knocked me off my equanimity and i'm just going to get back on with patience and calm and i'm going to use my order to figure out how do i get my leg on and then my you know climb back up and stand up and so i think you know what we said before about the antidote patience order and calm is very much in play or needs to be for me to get back up on that stand up paddleboard i think that's beautifully said one of the full way to include our thoughts on equanimity in relation to parshat leslasa in the book of genesis mojo what are we going to do next week well next Maybe week John yeah. Vieira, right? yeah next week we're doing parshat vayera which starts uh chapter 18 verse 1 and we look forward to having a special guest with us as well that's right tune in next week to see who that special guest is again um, Mojia, thank you for being the one who really makes this podcast possible, who really conceived of it, and uh, whose wonderful insights drive so much of it. To our listeners, I want to say thank you for staying with us and listening to this episode of Self-Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb. And I'm and I'm coughing and clearing my throat. <laughs> I'm Modia Silva, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much for joining us.